All right. Thank you, Scott. Nice vest. Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke, to the gospel. So what? He got it in the vestibule. I need to investigate it. <laughs> but get your mics there. Come on, let's do this. <laughs> investigate moving that mic stand for me, brother. Come on. I'm supposed to preach now, right? After. All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke, and we're going to be in chapter number nine. If there's. Uh, our sermon title tonight is No More Excuses. And if there's anything that's true, uh, about our society in 2019 is that we've become an excuse-filled society. We've got excuses for everything. It used to be excuse me was a polite term, a polite expression, but now it's a method of getting out of personal responsibility. As a matter of fact, uh, look at this next slide. This is John MacArthur. He made this observation. He said, our culture has declared war on guilt. Perhaps the most prevalent means of escaping blame is by classifying Every human failing is some kind of disease. Drunkards and drug addicts can check into clinics for treatment for their chemical dependencies, even though sometimes it's true. Children who habitually defy authority can escape condemnation by being labeled hyperactive or even ADD, even though sometimes it's true. Gluttons are no longer blameworthy. They suffer from eating disorders, and that's sometimes true. Even the man who throws away his family's livelihood to pay for prostitutes is supposed to be an object of compassionate understanding, and he is addicted to sex. And that's sometimes true as well. But we have no end to excuses. Excuses. Years ago, the Toronto News uh, published a listing of uh, accident reports. Um, it was like five years ago, and they listed some things, folks, you can't make this. Let me just say that. You can't make this up. Let me give you a few excuses here in these, uh, that were in Toronto, Canada in the traffic reports. This one gentleman said, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I did not have. This one lady said, I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. Another said, a truck... <laughs> A truck back through my windshield into my wife's face. Amen. That was probably true. Uh, this one gentleman said, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. <laughs> Another one said, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I finally hit him. Another one said, I pulled away from the side of... <laughs> this is Diane, this reminded me of you. Uh, said, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed straight for the embankment. Another said, and my, listen, this shot side of the church needs to laugh out loud. All I hear is laughter from this quarter, okay? Y'all need to lighten up and giggle a little out loud. Your face is laughing, but I'm not getting any sound, okay? Help me out. Uh, this one gentleman said, now you got to laugh. Now that's pressure, right? We got to laugh. Got to be loud as these giddyits over here, amen? Uh, one said, in my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. Another one said, I told the police I wasn't injured, but on removing my hat, I discovered that I had fractured my skull. <laughs> the pedestrian had no idea which direction to run, so I ran him over. And this is one of my, this is my favorite. The indirect cause of the accident was a little guy 
in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> I bet that's been true more than once. Look at this next slide. Billy Sunday, famous evangelist from yesteryear, said, an excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I heard about a husband that made excuse one day. He forgot his wife's birthday. Could you imagine forgetting your wife's birthday? And so he tried to, don't look, I can't even look at you now. Some of you couples are looking at each other. I just discovered it's more common than I thought. You know how, never mind, I can't even tell y'all how, how I remember, never mind. Ask me after the service and I'll tell you how I memorized my wife's birthday and I never forget it. Ask me afterwards. I am not telling the World Wide Web, okay? But this husband forgot his wife's birthday and so he tried to cover up his oversight and without really thinking about the consequences, he came up with the excuse and he said, honey, I just want you to know, I didn't forget your birthday, I just didn't buy you anything. Some of our excuses just don't work. And there's this interesting event that occurs in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke that teaches us there's no excuse for not truly selling out and following Jesus with all of our hearts. When it comes to following Christ, giving him your life, your soul, your everything, your tomorrow, your next step, there are no excuses not to. And three men in our text were given the, uh, uh, the, the possibility, the opportunity of following Jesus, but each one had a different excuse for not following. So you're going to see their problem wasn't that they could not follow Jesus, but rather they would not. And so we're going to, we got three fill in the blanks for you tonight. Number one, write this down. Notice the three problems. The first one was the cost, the cost. Look in your Bible at Luke chapter nine and verse 57, Luke chapter nine, and verse 57. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, most pastors and preachers would love to hear that. I would love for somebody to come up during the invitation and say, say you know, hey, preacher, I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Whatever he wants me to do, buddy, I'm sold out and I'm going. Listen, I'd slap a decision card on that person so fast. They'd fill it out. Listen, within six months, they'd be a, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, even a worship leader. Amen. I mean, I, I'm, gonna, I'm sold out for Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. But Jesus didn't listen to his words. Jesus looked at the man's heart. This man may seem impulsive, but he wasn't impressive in the eyes of Jesus at all. Jesus saw through him like transparent glass. And, I, okay, th this is Marcus' opinion time. Here's what I think this guy's deal is. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I think this guy saw Jesus performing miracles. I thought Jesus saw the crowds that gathered to hear Jesus speak. And the guy liked the spotlight. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. He saw all the adoration, all the love that Jesus was getting from certain crowds. And he thought, that's the life for me. Jesus, I'll follow you. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people, you think about going in the ministry. A lot of people that go into the ministry, they burn up, burn out, flame out, drop out. And one of the reasons why they do that is they didn't count the cost. There's a cost of going in the ministry. There's some people, maybe you look at preachers and you're like, man, that's pretty easy. Marcus is pretty stupid and he does it. Hey, man, I think I could do that. Right? Put on a suit, right? I get me one of them contemporary churches and just wear skinny jeans all the time, right? And uh, it'll be awesome. And I can just shake hands like our little, little Baptist church. Y'all see the little girl going around shaking everybody's hands tonight? Just shake everybody's hands and be a good Baptist. And it just, it's all just gravy and it's wonderful. There's this book entitled, You Know You're a Preacher If. How do you know if you're a preacher? Well, one of the ways is you know you're a preacher if people are always asking you, what else do you do for a living? 
That's the truth. I don't know how many times. There have been people that have joined our church and have like, hey, what do you do, by the way? I'm like, well, nothing, nothing. Most people never see the work that's involved in the ministry or the cost for the calling, maybe the criticism or the study or any of those kind of things. Many people, they see the, I don't know, they see the suit, they see the lights, they see the crowd, and they think, that must be pretty good. I think I'll sign up for that. This man thought that following Jesus was going to be all sunshine, no rain, all comfort, and no pain. And Jesus, to his credit, didn't pull any punches. Matter of fact, if you read the Gospels, Jesus never pulls any punches. This dude's in for a rude awakening. Look at verse 58. Jesus said to him, here's how you know the man was seeking a life of comfort and adoration. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said, you're going to follow me wherever I go? Man, you won't follow me down the road. You're looking for comfort. One thing I love about Jesus is he never painted an overly rosy picture of what it means to follow him. Right? Preachers in 2019 do that. Discipleship, commitment, surrender, the ministry. Jesus never says any of those things are simple. You won't find any health and wealth gospel on the lips of Jesus. You won't find prosperity gospel on the lips of Jesus. He never promised a Rolex on every wrist, a Mercedes in every garage, and a diamond on every finger. You won't find where Jesus ever said that if you follow him, the sea will be calm, the road will be smooth, and the sky will always be blue. No matter how often I've heard pastors say that, that seems to be what people kind of expect. I'll get saved, I'll get right, and I'll have no more problems. I'll be right with God, and he'll give me everything my heart desires. That sounds good. The only problem is that ain't so. Jesus never said that. Look at this next slide. This is Dr. Vance Havner. He said, by the way, I mean, Y'all heard me, that ain't so, right? Dr. Vance Avner had a way with words. You just YouTube this man, uh, Google him, uh, get a cassette tape. Listen to this man preach. You'll never come back to hear me. Dr. Vance Havner had a way with words and a way uh, with expressions, uh, but he believed that this right here would be a lot of Christians' favorite song. He said, I can't be carried to the skies. Um, No, he said, can't I be carried to the skies on a flowery bed of ease? If others fight to win the prize... I'm not so hard to please. And what Jesus is saying here is not that this young man, not that uh, he doesn't want us to have comfort or nice things or the good life in a lot of ways, right? He just doesn't want comfort and nice things to have us. Let me give you in a nutshell my theology of discipleship about following Jesus. Three parts. Look at this next slide. It costs to serve Jesus. It pays to serve Jesus. The cost is temporary, but the pay is eternal. Right? It's so funny. I was talking about this very subject with Amber this afternoon, and I was talking about this. It costs to pay, you know, it costs to serve Jesus. It pays to serve Jesus. And then Amber said, and so it, what you, it all balances out. <laughs> Net zero. It just, it's just a wash. No. Listen, uh, the cost is temporary, but the pay is forever. It does cost to serve Jesus. It may cost you friends, popularity, money, fame. It may cost you that promotion that you're hoping for when you uh, won't do some things that the boss wants you to do. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29. He said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. By the way, that's the key to this, my name's sake. There's some people out there in the world that claim to be Christians and they're acting like they're martyrs. I'm a Christian martyr. Everybody at work hates me because I'm sold out for Jesus. No, everybody at work hates you because you're a jerk. Don't blame Jesus because you're mean. Don't blame Jesus because you gossip. 
Don't blame Jesus because you're lazy. Oh, everybody at work, I just love Jesus so much and all them pagans down there, they won't even talk to me. They won't talk to you because they've heard you talk. My namesake, why for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So we're looking at the cost. Number two, the second thing is a corpse. You didn't see that coming, did you? A corpse. Now I want you to notice the two other men in this story volunteered to follow Jesus. This is the only one that Jesus called. Okay, Jesus called this guy personally. Look at Luke 9 and verse number 59. He said to another, follow me. Can I just say this? The greatest and highest privilege that anybody could ever have is to follow Jesus Christ and to ask Jesus in the flesh, the Messiah, the Savior, the creator of everything, the sustainer of the universe. You wonder what's keeping this world together? Jesus is keeping this world together. And this man looked this other man in the face and said, follow me. What more could you ask for? The greatest mystery in all of you, the longer I've been with Jesus and I've, he's proved himself real to me and, and, and over and over and over again, and I've seen him work in so many lives, the longer I walk with Jesus, the harder it is for me to understand why anybody wouldn't, why anybody would turn this invitation down. I don't understand to refuse to follow Jesus Christ. But this man gives an excuse. Look at the rest of the verse, verse 59. Luke 9, verse 59 says, uh, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, normally, that seems like a reasonable request. Let me go bury my daddy. Okay, there's something that you'd want to do and you'd want to take care of before you went gallivanting around all Galilee with Jesus. It seems like a reasonable request, right? But notice how Jesus responds in verse 60. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, okay, what does that mean? And why did Jesus say it? Uh, I mean, obviously, dead people can't bury dead people. And we're grateful for that, okay? Dead people can't bury dead people. So clearly, he's not talking physically dead, is he? He's talking about spiritually dead. Basically, he's saying, let the spiritually dead go and bury the physically dead. And quite frankly, Bible scholars are kind of divided on this about whether or not the father's still living. Uh, and here's what I believe is being said in the text. This man isn't saying, hey, let me go bury my dad. My dad died, let me go bury him. What this guy is saying, hey, Jesus, uh, thanks, for, thanks for the invitation, but I'm going to go home and wait for my father to die, bury him, collect my inheritance, get what's coming to me, and then once I get all my orders in straight and my affairs straight, then I will come and follow you. That's ultimately what this guy's saying. And Jesus says, man, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. You just follow me. And this guy's like, let me go home and wait for my dad to die. I bet he was a cheerful son, wasn't he? <laughs> Every time the dad naps out on the couch on a Sunday afternoon after church, falls asleep, he wakes up, his son's staring at him. The dad's like, not today, son, okay? Listen, what this guy is basically saying to Jesus, Jesus says, you follow me. And this guy is saying, not now, not now, later, later, I'll follow you later. Oh, how many people in the world today are saying to Jesus, how many during their invitation? By the way, I want to thank all of you again that come to the early service. Uh, we, we were overflow this morning in the second service. People out in the foyer, we're so grateful that you come to the early service to make room for us in the, in the second service. But how many people do you think in the first service and the second service, how many people do you think 
Then the invitation's given, and they're thinking to themselves, not today, later, tomorrow, next time, not today, later, not now, Jesus, later. There's a great principle here about obeying Jesus. Jesus not only deserves our obedience, he deserves prompt, immediate obedience. When Jesus tells you to do something, he's telling you to do it immediately. Not he didn't give it to you to think about. With God, delayed obedience is instant disobedience. With God, delayed obedience is instant disobedience. If I tell my kids to do something, you think I mean for them to do it next week? Never. May I, listen, you can never go any farther in your Christian life than what you're willing to do immediately. When he calls you to do something and you're not willing to do it immediately, you just press pause on your relationship and your walk with God. You're not going to advance beyond that spiritually until you're willing to do immediately what God has called you to do right now. Maybe tonight even, there's some of you have been saved, but since your salvation, you've never followed through in baptism by immersion. Even though you know you should be baptized by immersion, you know that the first thing that Christ asks us to do after we've trusted him is to follow through and be baptism. And you're saying, not now, later. And he wants you to do it immediately. Anytime somebody was saved in the New Testament, it was always followed by baptism. Every time somebody's saved, they get saved, then they get baptized. Yet some people delay in the first thing. They're surrendering to Christ as Savior, but for some reason, they're de delaying the first thing that he asks us to be obedient in doing. And so they're living in disobedience. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how much of your Bible you read, no matter how much time you spend in prayer, you're never truly going to go deeper in Christ to know and grow, truly grow in Christ until you're obedient to that thing that you're putting off. And especially with baptism. I might have a father one time who was talking to his son. I might have told you this story before, but bear with me. They're there in their family cabin. And he said, son, put another log on the fire. And the son says, uh, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it right now. And the father says, son, I said, put another log on the fire. Now do it. Mama's cold. And the son says, I'll do it in a minute. I'm not going to do it right now, but I'll do it. And the father says, son, you're going to do it right now. And the son's like, no, I'm not. And the father said, I'll tell you what, you're going to put a log on that fire right now or you can just leave. You're not going to live here and be disobedient to me and disrespectful to me. Son, put the log on the fire. The son decided it wasn't worth it, right? So he got his stuff. He headed out, and he's out in the world for some time, and he got to thinking about his daddy and his mama back home in that cabin and how good he had it and how sweet his parents were to him and how he had given all that up over one log on one fire. And so God just broke his heart, so he goes back to the cabin, knocks on the door. His father answered and he's like, Daddy, I've come home. And the daddy said, but son, I'm glad to have you. He said, Daddy, can you ever forgive me for what I did, for being disrespectful? Can you forgive me? Yes, son, I can forgive you. Daddy, can I come in? Can I come back home? Yes, son, you can come in. You can come back home. So he lifts the son into the living room. The father goes and sits down. The son goes to sit on the couch. And the father says, son, one thing before you sit down. Put a log on the fire. For many of us, that's a picture of our relationship with Christ. He is still waiting for you to put the log on the fire and show that you're obedient to him as your heavenly father. Put the log on the fire, not tomorrow, not today, right now. Jesus wants prompt obedience. He says this guy, matter of fact, he calls this guy to preach. He says, you go and preach the kingdom of God. You go preach the kingdom of God. Now I find it interesting by the way some people that happens 
Some people get saved, and God calls them to preach at the same time. But God has called all of us to be a witness, right? We don't have the same job, same vocation, same gifts, same calling on our life, but we're all called to uh, preach and extend the building of the kingdom of God. Number three. Next, we have the circle. The circle. We've got the cost. We've got the corpse. Now we've got the circle. The circle. Luke chapter 9, verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now, this guy seems to want to follow Jesus, but he's got a condition. And what we have a picture here is putting our family ahead of Christ. Let me tell you something. Not as a pastor. My my primary role in my life is not a pastor. It's to be the husband to Alicia, the father to my children. Let me tell you something. As a family man, I doubt any of you in here love your family as much as I love mine. Now, I bet you would disagree, wouldn't you? Why? Because you love your family, don't you? Right? I love my family. And I don't know. know. We can wrestle afterwards, but I think I love mine more than you. Does that make sense? I love my family. But my family is never to come before Jesus. Alicia is never to come before Jesus. Amber baby, Marcus baby, they're never to come before Jesus. Jesus comes first. Anybody that chooses their earthly father over their heavenly father is not fit to serve their heavenly father. Scripture's clear. Let me make it plain. Jesus is not going to play second fiddle in the orchestra of your life. He's not going to come runner up in the beauty pageant of your life. And he's not going to be the vice president of the government in your life. He is first or not at all. That's why he says this. Look at verse 62. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't plow a straight row uh, when you're looking back. you got to look forward. You can't drive a car forward all the time looking in the rearview mirror. Jesus said we cannot follow him. The principle here is a double mind. Double minded. We're trying to look in two directions at the same time. So many Christians are doing that. We're living kind of hypocritical lives and we're always looking in two directions. We're trying to go with Christ, but at the same time we're trying to go with the world. And it doesn't work. There's no excuse for not following Jesus and not following him with all of your heart. You know, after every worship service, we, we have an invitation. We give an, invi- uh, an opportunity for people to follow Christ. And it is the greatest opportunity, the greatest privilege anybody has ever received to follow Christ. To follow Christ, to accept Jesus, to surrender to his calling on your life. And to be able to say, I want to follow Jesus. And scripture is clear. We're without excuse. There's no reason not to. And there's no reason as a believer not to follow him with all of our hearts. We can make all the excuses we want to make ourselves feel better. I'll serve him more. I'll do better next year. I'll do it in the new year. I'll do it in 2024. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, I've never known a man that was good at making excuses that was good for much of anything else. The fact of the matter is, if you excuse yourself from following Jesus, you're going to regret it for all of eternity. And if you, if, if, as a believer, if you excuse yourself from being truly sold out to Christ, you're going to regret it. When you make a commitment to Jesus, let me tell you what he expects. He expects you to burn the bridges. To burn the bridges. You've heard the story, the famous story about the general who brought uh, all of his, uh, his whole army across an ocean in boats. And when they got to the land they were going in, they were vastly outnumbered by the enemy. And the general turned around and burned all their boats. And he told his men... It's going to be victory or death. We ain't going home unless we win this battle. Victory or death. Now, what do you think them boys did? 
They won the battle. Why? There was no options. There was no excuse. There was no backing out. And there was no backing down. If you want to live a life as a, a sold-out believer for Christ, and if you want to uh, live that life all the way to the day he calls you home, you've got to burn that bridge behind you and not be a double-minded person trying to look ahead and look back all the time. Burn your bridges. Sold out for Christ. No more excuses. No more reasons not to be who he's called us to be. I'll tell you, based on the, uh, God's word, that if you surrender to Jesus with no reserves, no retreat, no regrets, he'll do more with that kind of life in a, in a week than he will a lifetime of a person living with excuses while they never do the things, they never become the person who God has called them to be. Burn the bridges. Burn the boats. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that you've shown us clearly in scripture, God, that you have called us to live a life without excuse. God, that we're not to put anything before you. God, that we're not to, even our family, we're not to put our family before you. We're not to put our job before you. We're not to put anything before you. You are Christ. You are Savior alone. You are the creator God of the universe. And you deserve 100% of us and our heart and our lives. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. Tonight, you know that you're a believer. You know that you're a Christian. Could it be that there's some area of your life that you've been holding back? Maybe you've been making excuses, right? Maybe you've been justifying your sinful behavior, rationalizing some sin in your life. Maybe you've been like, I know this is wrong, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. With the freedom and the forgiveness that Christ offers us, there's no reason for you to hang on to the burden of sin in your life as a believer. Give it to Jesus. Repent, turn from your sin, and he'll he'll wash you clean. No excuses. Maybe God is calling you to an area of service. Maybe you're here tonight and God has called you to preach. Maybe you're here tonight and God has called you to some form of ministry. Now's the time to surrender. No excuses. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you've given your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And basically what you've been doing, you're saying, no, Jesus, not today, tomorrow, tomorrow. The word of God is clear that we're not promised tomorrow. And in this passage from Luke chapter 9, God shows us clearly there's no excuse for not following him with all of our hearts. Is that your desire tonight? You want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Surrender your life to Him, all the days that He has ahead of you to Him, to be forgiven of your sin, to follow Christ and not putting anything else ahead of Him. Maybe you need to pray this prayer. Just say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I sin. I make excuses. But God, I repent. I turn from my sin. And I'm asking you to save me. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting all of my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection. I know that you're alive right now and that you're coming back. And I'm asking you to save me, Jesus. Listen, you pray that prayer. He just saved you. I want to encourage you to make that decision public. No excuses. Follow through in biblical believers' baptism. Like Clayton and Logan did this morning. 
No excuses. Maybe your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation and you know that God is calling you to move in obedience even if you feel embarrassed about it. No excuses. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. You know this is your church home and it's time to make that commitment, to lock it down, put on the jersey, be part of the team. Why don't you come during this invitation? If God is calling you to do that, no excuses. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. This is your invitation. And God, I just pray that we as your people wouldn't dare to offer any excuse. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? Just as I have.